0: Scripture reading this morning will be in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Can we all please stand as we read these verses? I'm going to read the first verse and ask that you join with me on the second, and uh, continue every other verse. Luke 19, beginning in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? He said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. They said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to every one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Father, I pray now that you would give us insight as we study scripture. Help us to learn what it is that you have for us today and help us to apply it to each of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have, yet again, a parable of Jesus to look at this morning, and this is probably one that you're not overly familiar with. Uh, Don't confuse it with the parable of the talents uh, in Matthew 25. These are two different, although somewhat similar, parables. Uh, The details are different, as is the application. A parable, as we've said in the past, is a story, a made-up story, with a spiritual lesson, and Jesus used them frequently to illustrate a point without necessarily having everyone listening be able to decipher it. Uh, sometimes the parables leave us scratching our head a bit, wondering exactly what was meant by them. Uh, but usually the main point, at least, is clear. Uh, and as often they, these, these parables are quite powerful and memorable stories that kind of lodge in your memory. And they kind of uh, leave you throughout the day wondering, I wonder exactly what he meant by that. I think that's some of the design of them. Verse 11 gives us this introduction. It says, as he, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. A few important points here before we get into the parable. First, notice that first phrase, as they heard these things. Uh, That signals us back to the previous story of the conversion of Zacchaeus that we talked about last Sunday. This parable was given on that same occasion, immediately following verse 10. And so they are likely still at Zacchaeus' house when Jesus gives this parable. Next, notice the location. It says they were near Jerusalem. Uh, The journey to Jerusalem is finally nearing its end. In fact, next week we're going to study the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. But for today, they're still in Jericho, just a few miles away, the last stop on the journey. And as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem, the disciples are getting uh, more and more anxious Jesus had tried to warn them repeatedly that he's going to be arrested and killed when he goes there, but they just didn't understand. They were so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was uh, certainly going to raise up an army of Jews and overthrow the Roman government, take back their land. And then he would establish his kingdom and reign over Israel as king. This was their hope. Uh, This was their expectation. And so as they're getting uh, closer to the city of Jerusalem, they believed that this would be the moment. When Jesus would start his war against the Romans they were near the city of Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately and because of this misunderstanding Jesus tells them this parable he said therefore a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return calling 10 of his servants he gave them 10 minas and said to them engage in business until I come But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom had been given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities." The second came, saying, "'Lord, your mina has made five minas.' He said to him, "'And you are to be over five cities.' Then another came, saying, "'Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow.' And so he said to him, "'I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant.' You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank?' And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I say to you that everyone who has, uh, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now that's an interesting story. But what is the spiritual lesson? As is often the case with Jesus' parables, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And so rather than get caught up on each individual detail of the parable and what it may or may not represent, it's far wiser typically to just take a step back and try to see what is the main lesson here that Jesus was teaching with this parable. Uh, First, what we can say for certain is that Jesus clearly represents the nobleman in the parable. It says back in verse 12 that he was going into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Uh, This is said to correct the faulty assumption of the disciples. They thought that the kingdom of Christ was going to appear immediately, uh, right now, as they're going into Jerusalem. But Jesus wasn't headed to Jerusalem to fight the Romans and gain a kingdom right now. Rather, Jesus was going to leave them. He was headed to a far country. And then after some time had passed, he would return as king. And so the rest of the parable is about how people should live in that intervening time, between when Jesus left Earth and when He returns as our uh, crowned as King. And so Jesus is the nobleman; that that much is certain. He's the one that is going to leave for a time, and return and sit on the throne. The next characters in the parable are the servants, to whom He gave a mina. Uh, calling 10 servants, it says in verse 13, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Uh, mina is an amount of money, as you hopefully have guessed by now, uh, it'd be worth about a few thousand dollars in today's currency. And so he gives this to each of his servants and tells them to invest his money, uh, to make a profit so that he can receive it back with interest when he returns. And so verse 15 says, when he returned, this king that now has been crowned as king and he comes back to rule over his kingdom. Uh, says that he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, the question isn't necessarily what does the mina represent. It may refer to the gospel uh, being entrusted to the followers of Jesus. And we are to take that and spread it throughout the world. That may be true. Uh, but the overall point of the story is clear. Jesus is leaving soon and he has entr- he's going to entrust his followers to work for him while he's gone. Uh, We are to serve the king that we know will come again and reward us according to how we have spread the gospel and advanced his kingdom in the world while he was gone. And when Jesus returns as king of this world, he will call each of us to give an account for how we have lived our lives in his service, and we will be rewarded accordingly. Now, this brings us to the third characters mentioned. You have the nobleman who clearly is Jesus, uh, who will be crowned as king, and he'll return someday to take his seat on the throne. You have the servants, which would be followers of Jesus, Christians who are to work while the king is away. And then you have these other citizens of the land who reject the noble man entirely and do not even want him to become king. Verse 14 says, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So in this time between Jesus' first coming and his return, there are some who will gladly embrace him as Savior and Lord and King, and there are others who will reject him. Uh, This is true, of course, of the Jews of Jesus' day. We'll see that in the coming chapters in Luke. Uh, Those who would be calling for Jesus to be crucified. But it's also true of many in our day who say, we do not want this man to reign over us. Uh, These are people who reject Jesus and refuse to acknowledge his lordship over their lives. And when Jesus comes again, they will be judged severely, for their rejection of him. Verse twenty seven, the king says to them, As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So you have these groups of people. You've got some who uh, refuse Jesus and his kingdom, they will receive a, a very severe judgment. You have others who gladly embrace Jesus as their king, and they live their lives in his service, advancing the spread of the gospel in the world, and these will receive a great reward. But then there is this third group. Those who don't necessarily outright reject Jesus as king, but they also don't really live for him. They take the mina that the king gave them, but they don't really do with it what they were told to do. Back in verse 13, the king told the servants to engage in business until I come, until I return. But this third group, they just don't do that. They don't work for the king while he is away and then receive a reward. Rather, they just do their own thing. They put the mina in a handkerchief and uh, put it under their bed somewhere and go on about their lives. These servants seem to think that they can just take the mina, return it at the end of their time without doing anything with it. And it's all good. Uh, Verse 20 says that these come before the king saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servants. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. He said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten minas. They said to him, Lord, he has ten ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, if the servants who gained a profit represent Christians who live in service to Jesus and then receive rewards on Judgment Day, Uh, The citizens would represent uh, those who refuse to accept the king. They represent those who reject Jesus and face his wrath on Judgment Day. The question is, what about these others? Uh, What about these servants who are given a mina and yet they do nothing with it? Uh, We aren't told that they are slaughtered like the ones who rejected Jesus entirely. But are we to understand these as Christians? Uh, These ones that Jesus refers to as wicked servants. There are basically two views of this group. And this is one of those interpretive details uh, of the parable that sound theologians disagree on, exactly how to interpret it. Uh, The first view says that these are not true Christians, uh, that these would be people who perhaps claim to be followers of Christ. They don't reject him ostensibly, but they also don't live for Jesus. They live for themselves. And so the mina being taken away from them in the end, and if the mina represents the gospel or the kingdom of God, then that would mean that they are not Christians at all. Perhaps they aren't as bad as those who flat out reject Jesus, and maybe they don't uh, receive as severe a punishment as those, uh, but they are still going to face the judgment of God in the end. The second view says that these are true Christians, but that they did not live their lives very well. They never denied Jesus, they didn't live in rampant sin, but they also didn't do much to serve him and further his gospel. And so they make it into the kingdom, but they are not rewarded. They lose out on the blessings that could have been theirs, uh, had they share, had, had they served Jesus more faithfully in their lives. And so, the the taking of the mina would be referring then to them losing blessings in the eternal kingdom. Uh, in the end, I'm not certain as to which view it is uh, which view is correct. I think uh, good people can certainly disagree on the interpretation of this passage. But I want to walk through those few verses one more time and just give you some of the arguments uh, for both sides and kind of let you decide. Verse twenty. It says, another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. In the previous verses, uh, we're told the first servant came, and then the second servant came. Here in verse 20, it doesn't say the third servant came. Rather, it says, another came. Uh, now, there are two different Greek words that can be translated another. Uh, this is one of those things you learn kind of first semester in Greek, that there's two words for another, allos uh, and heteros. And basically, the difference is another of the same kind or a similar or another of a different kind. Uh, so if I really liked a pair of shoes, for example, and I wanted to purchase an extra pair of the exact same shoes so that when mine wear out, I have backups, uh, I would purchase Alas, another of the same kind. If, however, I bought a pair of shoes, they were terribly uncomfortable, they fell apart within a few weeks, uh, I would never want to buy those shoes from those from that company again. But I would still need shoes. So I would buy another pair of shoes, but a, a different kind. So that would be heteros, a different pair, a different kind. So those are the two Greek words. Another that is similar, another that is different. Another of the same nature or kind, another that is uh, different in kind. And here in verse 20, the word is heteros, another of a different sort. And so you have the first servant, you have the second servant, and then you have another of a different kind that comes to the king. And he tells him that he has hid his mind away in a handkerchief. And look at his reasoning, verse 21. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Uh, He may be implying here that he didn't invest the money and make a profit, basically because he didn't trust the king that he would reward him. Uh, He thought maybe the king would just take it away from him. But as we've seen already, the king gave high positions of authority and power to those who made a return on his investment. He didn't just take the money from them and kick them to the curb, and yet that's the kind of king that this man thought he was. And that total misunderstanding Make some people think that this is not a true Christian, that this man doesn't even know Jesus. Add to that the fact that he's called a wicked servant in verse 22 when the king responds. He says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest." He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has 10 minas. They said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. And then verse 26, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, those are a few very confusing verses, and that last line especially. It's a good one for you to go home and think about for a while. I'll come back Wednesday, and you can tell me what it means. Uh, but I know this much. Whether this fellow represents a true Christian who just doesn't do much in his life for Christ, or whether this is a nominal Christian, not a true follower of Jesus at all, either way, judgment day will not go well for him. He's going to be called a wicked servant. He's going to lose what he thought he had. Again, I remind you that the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And what we can say for certain from this parable is this. All of us will stand before Jesus in his kingdom, and we will each give an account of how we have lived our lives in his service, uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5: whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, in Romans 14, we read that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us is going to stand before God and give an account of what we did with our lives to serve Christ and advance his kingdom. We may be rewarded greatly like the servants who use their lives uh, to serve Christ, or we will be punished severely. It will either be a glorious day for us or a miserable day of sadness and regret. And one of my goals as your pastor is to make Judgment Day a good day for you. I want you to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice in the parable that each of these servants was given the same amount to start off with, one mine up. And some of them gained 10 from it. Some of them gained five. All of them uh, were were rewarded, regardless of the amount of uh, outward success they necessarily had. It was simply the fact that they had lived for Jesus and worked for him. Those who received the rebuke are those who maybe believe the gospel of Jesus, but they don't do anything with it. The gospel has been entrusted to us as servants of our king. It wasn't just given to us as a treasure to keep to ourselves. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, Timothy was to take the things that Paul had taught him and teach others so that they could teach others. And we are to do the same. It's not our job merely to learn the gospel and be taught the scriptures ourselves. We are to take that and pass it along to others, people that we have influence over. And so the question that you should be asking in light of this parable of the minas is how can I engage in the king's business? What sort of things can you and I do to serve Jesus with the time that we have? The first one perhaps is the most obvious, and that is spreading the gospel. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's sort of like saying I'm receiving a kingdom, right? This is as he's going away like the nobleman in the parable and saying I'm going to come back and reign over heaven and earth. And because of that reality, verse 19, go therefore... And make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age Uh, spreading the gospel teaching the bible making disciples this is how we advance the kingdom of god and every part of that is done through the local church Uh, throughout the book of acts we see not merely individual people Uh, reaching others with the gospel, teaching them to follow Jesus. Rather, we see churches being planted, groups of Christians working together in each area to further the kingdom of God in their community. And so we are to use our time, our talents, and our treasure in the work of the church. Uh, Not everyone has the same abilities, nor is everyone called to function in the same way in the church. Paul writes uh, in his letters frequently about how some are gifted to teach, some are gifted to encourage, uh, some have the ability to give a lot financially. But whatever your particular giftedness, all of us are to use the abilities that we have to serve our King. It could be something like sharing the gospel with a co-worker, or it could be cleaning the bathroom out of church. It could be helping someone who is struggling with addiction to find freedom in Christ, or it could just be being a welcoming face when someone finds their way into our church and needs a friend. It could be inviting a neighbor to church Or it could be serving someone that you know and being an example of a Christian to them. Each of us is called to serve God with the abilities and opportunities that he provides. I want to go back to verse 11 and just remind us of where we began, where it says there that as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. The disciples were wrong about some aspects of the kingdom of God. They had misunderstood some things. They thought that it was about to come and that it would come all at once. And Jesus told this parable to explain to them that the kingdom was not coming in the way that they were expecting. There would be a delay in the kingdom's arrival. It wasn't coming right then and there. Rather, Jesus was going to leave and then return later as king. And in that intervening period of time that you and I live in today, there is gospel work to be done. Jesus said in Mark 4, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And so the kingdom of God wasn't going to appear immediately. It wasn't going to come by force as Jesus overthrows the Roman government and sets up his throne. Rather, the kingdom would come gradually. It would grow like a mustard seed, starting out small and slowly but gradually growing larger and larger. Uh, Maybe like me, when you were a kid, you had one of those school projects where you put some soil in a cup and you throw a bean in there and uh, you get to watch it grow. Well, if you got up the next morning right after putting the seed in there and you were expecting to see a fully grown plant, you would have been sorely disappointed. And such is the case with Jesus' kingdom. It grows slowly, gradually, gradually. One by one, as people repent of their sins and turn to Christ. That's one more citizen in the kingdom of God. And so God's kingdom wasn't going to appear immediately. Jesus also told this parable to let his disciples know that he would be leaving for a time. Uh, He wasn't headed to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. Rather, he was headed to Jerusalem to die. And there would be this large gap of time between the beginning of the kingdom when Christ came the first time and the end when he returns. And in this time that we're awaiting the second coming of Christ, we are to engage in his business, advancing his kingdom, one disciple at a time. Now if you're familiar with the New Testament, it probably won't surprise you to to hear that the disciples didn't get the message right away. Uh, even after this parable, they were still expecting the kingdom to arrive uh, suddenly and quickly and all at once. Uh, in Acts 1, this is after the death and resurrection of Christ as he's about to leave them. They asked him, "Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're, they're still thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom overthrowing the Roman government. Jesus says to them in response in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the, uh, to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the nobleman leaving his servants for a time and going to be crowned as king. And while he's gone, he gives them these instructions to engage in his business while he is away. Verse 10 says, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The king will return and when he does he will bring his reward with him for those who have served him faithfully i think there's perhaps one final reason that jesus told this parable to the disciples and it fits with something that we've seen many times over the last few weeks as we worked our way through the end of luke's gospel here very soon jesus would face rejection in jerusalem and he was warning them of what was coming he wasn't going to jerusalem to be crowned as king right then and there as as they had expected rather he was going to be rejected by the people. John 19 records this reaction of the people in Jerusalem, says they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They essentially said, we will not have this man to rule over us. These are the rejectors of the king who will receive the most terrifying judgment. At his return, we dare not be found among the number of those who said to Jesus, We will not have this man rule over us. Nor should we be happy on that day of judgment to stand before our King with nothing to show for our lives. Rather, let us work for our King. We know he's coming again. We know that he's left us here to carry on his kingdom work. Let's be good and faithful servants, engaging in his business. And we know that in the end, our labor for him will be rewarded eternally.